In God's Word, we find um, ourselves uh, interacting with, learning about uh, a true person from history, a man who um, was, so, was very successful, a man who God was with him to the point where everything that he was involved in was successful. And, and he was so successful that his boss began to trust him more and more. And he was so successful with all the, the duties his boss had given him that not only did his boss put him in charge of work-related things, but he trusted this man so much he began to, to trust him with his household, with things more personal and more near and dear to him. And, and so then one, and this man not only was successful, not only was God with him, not only was he bringing his uh, boss lots of favor, but this man was handsome, the Bible tells us, in form and appearance. And after a time, his boss's wife cast her eyes on him and said, come and lie with me. But he refused because he was honoring to his boss and to the role that he had been given and, as, uh, and, and she continued to pester this man from the God's word named Joseph. She continued to pester him day after day, and he would not listen to her. And one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and nobody else was around, she caught him by the robe, his garment, saying, lie with me. That's a spot to be in. And elsewhere in Scripture... We have yet another man, a man we, we come to know in quite a favorable way as being, uh, as being near to the heart of God, as leading God's people. And it happened that one afternoon, this man was, uh, was relaxing at home, maybe waking up from a nap, and he was walking around on the roof of his house, and he was looking around the city, and from his rooftop, he could see another rooftop where he saw a woman bathing, and God's word tells us that she was very beautiful. There's another spot to be in. What do these situations, what do these uh, pivotal moments that could, that could go a number of ways, what do these critical spots, uh, these tough spots to be in have to do with you this morning? What do they have to do with me? And I want to suggest much more than we first think. What do they have to do with us? I think we first maybe want to say, no, nah, I don't think those situations have much to do with me, but I'm going to suggest this morning that we all find ourselves in similar spots, probably much more frequently than we think. And here we have, at this pivotal moment, at this tough spot that we might come to, we have an opportunity to use language we've been using in recent weeks. We have an opportunity to live in a kingdom of one, looking out for number one, and convenience and benefit and pleasure and what's easy for me and what I'd prefer. We have opportunity to live in a kingdom of one, a kingdom of self, or we have an opportunity to deny ourselves, set ourselves aside, submit to Jesus as king. Jesus is king. We have opportunity to submit to him and learn to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. 
And so that's why we're in a series of messages that we've entitled Kingdom Life, because we want to ask God how to help us, by his grace, live out the ways of Jesus in our spheres of influence, live out the ways of Jesus in these tough spots, these pivotal moments that we find ourselves in. How do we live a kingdom life? So grab your Bibles, if you would, and open to Matthew chapter 5, and in a moment we'll start at verse 27. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew is at the beginning of your New Testament, the back part of your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of Jesus' life. Find yourself uh, to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll start at verse 27 in a moment. And as, um, as Marty already said, we are teaching our way through the Sermon on the Mount, this, this three-chapter section in Matthew of Jesus' teaching, and we're asking God to speak to us through his word today. All right, so Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 7. I'm just going to go ahead and read the few verses that we'll be studying today, and then we'll take a closer look. Matthew 5, verse 27 and following. Jesus speaking. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. So that's all pretty straightforward. I'm pretty sure there's nothing more I have to explain. So why don't we have the worship band come back up and I'm going to close in prayer. I shouldn't tease like that. You guys would like it if I quit now. I'm joking. I'm not done. We're going to take a closer look at what God has to say here. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, we need to pray. In all seriousness, at this moment, I would sometimes take a moment and pray for our time hearing from God through his word, and instead I'm going to give a bit of silence and ask you to do so. I could use your prayer, and you could use prayer that God would speak to us by his word this morning, and that, and that the evil one, Satan, would love to take this message out of our ears and hearts, but the evil one is already under the thumb of Jesus and loses in the end. And I think God has something to say to us this morning. So take a few minutes, take a few seconds if you would, and pray that we would hear it. Father in heaven, you are so good, so loving. 
this morning as we begin and as we go to your word to hear from you this morning, I pray that we would be reminded afresh that you are good and loving and that your purposes for us are good, that you are not a killjoy, but that your best is for our best, that your plans are for, uh, to, to nurture and to point us to your glory. So do that this morning as we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 27, Jesus speaking, and in this, in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he is bringing up Old Testament teaching, and then he is fulfilling it, he is completing it. He is not contradicting the Old Testament, he's saying, here's what you were taught, let me tell you what's underneath it, the heart of it. I want to fulfill it, I want to complete it. And so in verse 27, Jesus quotes the Old Testament from the Ten Commandments, he quotes the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. And while there are many voices that you may encounter, while there are many influences around you that you might come across that are trying to redefine for us what is acceptable when it comes to marriage and sexuality, while there are various influences and podcasts and talking heads and opinions that might try to send us a different direction um, regarding what is acceptable for marriage, And sexuality, God's word is clear over and over again that sexual activity has its best, has its good purposes, is to be enjoyed in the context of a committed marriage relationship between one man and one woman. God is clear there, and He has good purposes regarding sexuality and regarding sexuality within the context of marriage. And that's, that's his best. That's what he wants us to be reminded of. And so adultery is a significant offense. This seventh commandment says, thou shall not commit adultery. And it's, it's a significant sin because not only does it break the relationship with the spouse, But repeatedly in God's word, marriage is set to be a reflection of the relationship between God and his people. So not only does adultery break the relationship with the spouse, the human spouse, but we're before a watching world, before a world who needs the loving goodness of God, adultery then also is a poor reflection and a brokenness between this reflection of God and his people. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, adultery is used as a word uh, to describe when God's people go their own way, when God's people look to other gods, when when God's people set the true God aside and try to put all their hope and all their energy into stuff that doesn't mean anything. And so when when those things happen, the scripture repeatedly refers to that as adultery. And as I said, Jesus came to fulfill. He came to teach us the heart behind this Old Testament commandment, not to get rid of it. He completes it. And so as we continue, uh, one of the commentators I studied this week says that as our society moves further and further from the seventh commandment in one direction, and further and further from being concerned about committing adultery, Jesus moves in the other direction to underscore Not just the rule, don't commit adultery, but Jesus moves in the direction of underscoring the purity that is desired by God. His best purposes for this commandment. So verse 28, Jesus continues. 
In verse 28, Jesus continues, says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, so Jesus does something interesting here. Really, he, he again, he doesn't contradict the seventh commandment. He, he, he fulfills, he completes, he adds to it, he fleshes it out. And really, his words kind of bring the tenth commandment into the picture now. The tenth commandment is, thou shalt not covet. We, we, we shouldn't longingly desire stuff that's not ours, people that are not ours. And so he, Jesus kind of adds to the seventh commandment, not only should you not commit adultery, but there's, there's a heart of, of covetousness underneath here. Now we might, you know, as is often going to be the case when the scriptures confront our hearts and minds with potential sin areas, as often is the case when we are confronted and, and being asked to self-examine and see where God wants to work in our lives, as is often the case, I think we might, if we're not careful, we're too quick to jump to, well, that's not me. I'm not guilty of that sin and thus separating myself from them, right? I was careful not to just gesture toward you. <laughs> Uh, that's not, I'm not guilty of adultery, so I'm off the hook. That's them. If not adultery, what about pornography? If, if you're allowing God to speak to you and confront you with his word this morning, and you uh, think that this commandment and Jesus' heart behind this commandment doesn't apply to you, then we go beyond the sin of adultery and we ask, what about pornography? Or similar sexual sin and addiction. And I'm not just talking to men, I'm talking to men and women. I'm not just talking to the young, I'm talking to all ages. And if, and if by the grace of God you're able to say that pornography is not a problem, then I say, well then what about eyes that linger? What about eyes that linger on real-life people? What about eyes that linger on photos of, even if you're not going to classify it as pornography, what about eyes that linger on real-life people or photos of people wearing next to nothing? What about the advertisements that were barraged? What about when we go to the beach? What about when we scroll the device? through the endless drivel of nonsense. And even if by the grace of God, you're able to say this morning that photos are not a problem, what about descriptive words? What about descriptive racy fiction that accomplishes the same thing in the heart of the mind without photos? Ezekiel, in Ezekiel, this will be on the screen, God laments. Here's, a, here's God lamenting where his people have gone astray. How I have been broken over their whoring heart that is departed from me, and how I have been broken over their eyes that go whoring after their idols. So, so again, we have in scriptures this comparison of adultery to the broken relationship between God and his people. 
Not only does our adultery break our relationship with our human spouse, uh, but we are breaking, we're, we're breaking this relationship that should be a demonstration of the beautiful relationship between God and his people. So here God is lamenting what's happened, and he's saying, he's not just saying, hey, they've gone astray. They've actually gone to the wood pile, grabbed a piece of wood, carved an idol, and they're worshiping it. He's not only condemning that, he's saying, look, their eyes, their eyes are going after other idols. Their, their hearts their desires are going after other than me. So, so in that same way, it's not just actual physical act of adultery that's being addressed. It's the adultery that's happening in our, mentally, in our mental acts of unfaithfulness. So as much as we might like to, we can't justify our thought life by saying, well, it's just thoughts. It's just imagination because I'm not going the physical act of adultery. We can't justify our, our thought life, our imagination that way. So and again, what, what leads us to, what puts us in these tight spots? We gave those couple examples at the beginning this morning. We said they, they, both situations, I left off the story at, at a pivotal moment, at a moment where things could go a couple of different ways. And I said, I think we find ourselves in those moments way more than we would like to think. And so when we come to those moments, what, what puts us in those spots that lead us to temptation, that could lead us into sin? Well, we've already mentioned real live people are part of it. And I'm not talking about, um, I'm not talking about attraction that's natural and God-given between men and women made in the image of God. I'm not talking about attraction. Um, that, that's not a sin in and of itself. I'm not talking about recognition of beauty or handsomeness in another human being. But we are talking about, as we already mentioned, the, the lingering eyes. The imagination that goes too far. The thoughts run amok. One of the commentators I studied this week said, said it this way, not casual looks, but persistent looks. Not involuntary, momentary seeing of beauty, but that, that cherished look, that I'm holding on to it stare, that, that lingering for purposes beyond. That's, I think, what God, by his Spirit, wants to have us take a look at. And what else, what other situations put us in a tight spot? Scrolling on our devices, perhaps other forms of entertainment, song lyrics and TV and, uh, and movie choices, uh, certainly internet surfing, whether there's photos or not. And so in, in, in this age of sensuality, of temptation, of, of visual images everywhere, and terrible content everywhere, what should be our first step? What does God want us to do with this this morning? And as, as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches it to us this morning, and by the grace of God, his spirit works in us to reveal what he wants us to know. And so I think the first step this morning is to look inward. Let's not be scribes and Pharisees that are just trying to clean up the outside and appear 
Christian. No, I don't commit adultery. No, I look nice on the outside. God wants us to look at the heart and go beyond cleaning up our appearances and there to be a reality check of the things I just talked about. Where do those things find their way into your heart and mind? Where do those examples? Beyond physical adultery into mental, emotional acts of unfaithfulness. And if we're willing to look into God's word as a mirror and we know our hearts and our temptations and our sins, then we can move, hopefully that's going to move us away from judging other people and putting these sins as only categories that they struggle with as we examine our heart, hopefully it's going to move us away from that attitude, to, from thinking that we are better than other sinners, and, in, and, and, and instead lead us to what God wants us to know. Lead us to conviction. Lead us to, to need him. Self-examination and confessing our sin to the Lord doesn't need to lead us into shame. It needs to lead us to the spectacular good news of the gospel. Going, going into our heart and, and seeing the darkness and seeing the pollution and recognizing our sinful behavior, it doesn't need to drive us down into despair. It should lift our eyes to the one who can help because the gospel is spectacular news that God rescues sinners like me and you. The gospel is the good news that while we were yet sinners, while we were stuck in it, while our hearts were polluted, while we were doing our own thing, while we were rebelling against God, God sent his son to live and die and be raised again so that we might have life. So our self-examination, our recognition of our need, our confession of our sin to our God doesn't drive us into shame or despair, it gives us hope as we recognize our need for him. May we just increase in thankfulness that God loves us so much to rescue us from that situation, not just once, but every time we find ourselves in that pivotal moment. May we turn back to Jesus over and over. Church family, May you turn back to Jesus in repentance and faith over and over and over. Let's continue the passage here at verse 29. This is the easy part of the passage. If your right eye can, causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that of your whole body, uh, than that your whole body go into hell. We could, different scholars think slightly varying things here. We could talk about why the eye and why the hand. Perhaps it's as simple as this, that the eye is what sees the eye is what has that look that then could linger, that then could turn into temptation, that then could turn into sin. So it's addressing the eye that sometimes our looks 
lead us to trouble. It could be addressing the hand as a, as a representation of taking action. I don't just see the possible sin, I, I go and grab it. I don't just consider mentally and emotionally adultery, I act on it and follow through. And so here Jesus is addressing this sinful, broken cloudiness of our hearts and our lives and, and, and the lives of, of the people around us. Here God is addressing through Jesus uh, all the brokenness that we see in our world and in our own lives that have to do with breaking marriage vows and sexual addiction and porn and looking too long and reading garbage. And here's what this passage we just read means. Here's what those few verses mean. It means Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes to get out of there. Do whatever it takes to stop that sin area. Do whatever it takes to fight. This is hyperbole. Jesus is deliberately exaggerating. He's not actually telling you to gouge out your eyes and cut off your hand. But he is saying, do whatever it takes. Quit messing around. Don't dabble with this stuff. Don't keep falling into it the same ways. Jesus uses deliberate exaggeration to emphasize how serious he is about single-minded, single-hearted devotion to what marriage and sexuality is meant to be. Fight for it. Be clear about it. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes. Marriage and sexuality within marriage is that important. It's that glorious. It's that much of good purposes from God for our life. This is how seriously you need to get after it. Protect it. Fight for it. That's what his language in those verses means. In Colossians 3.5 will be on the screen here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Jesus is saying we should go to any length we can to maintain the unity of the bond of marriage. Deal drastically with sin. Hate it. Crush it. Dig it out. Don't play victim to sin. Don't just muck around in it. Don't just think, well, I don't have any power, so I'll just keep dabbling. Don't play victim to sin. Fix our eyes on Jesus and fight for marriage and God's good purposes for sexuality and marriage. And this area is not only really significant in scriptures, but this area is very significant in my journey through life. And so, sorry I get a little fired up about it. Or maybe not sorry. Porn was a sin issue for me. Enslaved to that area of sexual sin for years, and now by the grace of God and by the Spirit's work in my life, freedom and victory over that area of sin for the last 17, almost 18 years. So that's not saying I'm all that. That's saying this is a fight that's worth it. I want it for you too. Do whatever it takes. Are you with me? Do you understand? I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on God's rescue. He has what's best in mind for us related to our marriages and to sexuality within marriage. He has what's best. He's not a killjoy. He's not taking away your fun. He knows what's best. And he wants it to be enjoyed in the context of a beautiful, committed marriage between one man and one woman. And anything outside of a committed marriage between one man and one woman is sexual sin. And so that's where 
pornography and other issues that we've discussed today are an issue and need to be addressed. And so as I've journeyed with people over the years, I often use the language, um, fight this battle on all fronts. Jesus' hyperbole in those verses say, do whatever it takes. Take extreme measures if need be. Address this. Go to any length. Deal drastically with sin. And so I sometimes will tell people that are looking for victory and freedom in this area to fight the battle on all fronts. And I'm not a, a, a war strate- a military strategian, strategigo, but, <laughs> but fight it on all fronts, meaning every possible area of life, all that I'm about, all that I do say, all the places I go, all the people I interact with, on every front, fight like hell against hell prevailing in our sexual behavior. And so when I say every front, here's some examples. And I'm sure this is not exhaustive. You'll be able to think of more fronts that you can fight this battle on. For, for one, I think of practical. Fight it on the practical front. Fight this battle on the logistical front. This would include practical things like boundaries, where you go, what you do, who you interact with, whatever it takes, be practical. This, would incl- this practical battle would include filters that are the technology that's available on our phones and on our computers to, to filter out some of the garbage. It's not the answer, because you'll still find it if you're looking for it, but, but fight it practically by putting the filters in place. Accountability, having brothers and sisters in Christ that can ask you what's going on or that you confess what's true about your life to them, that accountability helps. Certainly our media choices and where we spend our time on screens is an important part of a practical boundary because God's word said in, says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. So a f- part of the battle is just practical. Flee! Run! Get away from it! Right? It's so practical. Those spots, those, those two tough spots we started this morning with, that man who was, the Lord was giving him success and his master trusted him and his master gave him a responsibility over his household and then his wife is putting the moves on him. That was Joseph and he found himself in this critical spot and if you go and read the rest of that story today and you should, guess what he did? He ran! And that other guy we started with this morning, the king of God's people, the man after God's own heart, David, looking from rooftop to rooftop and admiring a a bathing woman, guess what he did? He didn't run. The eyes led to sin and temptation, but he acted out and followed through. So the difference in those two stories from this simple practical advice of flee I'd say we should fight the, this battle on practical front. I'd say we should fight it on an educational front. There's a lot to be learned that I think you'll, be, you'll find helpful. There's a lot to be learned about the way you're made, the way you're wired, the way your hearts and minds work, the way your brain works. I think we, we can do that in therapy, which I highly recommend if you have difficulties in life of any kinds, whether it's in this area or marriage or parenting or other struggles with Understanding yourself, education, one of the forms that comes in is going to therapy. Uh, But there's so much out there. There's so much good reading, um, 
YouTube videos about the brain and about addiction and how pornography is just one of these areas where we can become addicted to and the brain is hardwired to repeat the mistakes and but there's hope and there is the ways to rewire the brain and there's help that comes from educating ourselves and understanding how these patterns become more deeply ingrained and how our sin becomes repetitive and so fight the battle on the educational front of learning about the way we're made and the way our hearts and minds work, because it'll help. Um, if you're looking for a place to go on the internet or on YouTube, I, I, uh, I, I have appreciated the materials that a ministry called Pure Desire Ministries puts out. You can find their website, Pure Desire Ministries. They're out of Portland. You can go to YouTube and find a lot of excellent free content. There's a podcast for those of you that like to listen to podcasts. Uh, Pure Desire's ministry might be of interest to you. I've recommended this book before, but I'm going to recommend it again. On the screen is Ray Ortland's book called The Death of Porn. And here's what I love about this book is um, so much of this battle, you know, we feel like is kind of negative. It's don't do this, don't do that. You're a disaster. You're blowing it. it this is not that. Ray Ortland's book, The Death of Porn, and I'd recommend everybody read it, whether this is an area of struggle or not, or whether you know someone who it is, whether you're a man or woman, it is definitely kind of written from a man's perspective, but I think uh, this is not just, an, porn is not just an issue for men, so by all means, all should read it. What I love about this book is it's not the downer, the attack, it's casting an inspirational vision of what can be as we cling to what God's best for us in marriage and sexuality is. It's like a vision of hope. It's a vision of, of what can be as we, as we, by the grace of God, make this an area of victory in our lives. And so it's a hopeful book, and it's, it's got some practical too, um, but I'd recommend it. Uh, parents, if you're parenting children of any age, uh, start now. Start talking about these topics now. It's not too late, no matter the age of your children. Uh, but if you don't start discipling now, someone else in the world, the culture, will disciple them into these topics. Would you rather, uh, you, you might say, well, it's awkward. I'm not sure what to say. Would you rather have an awkward conversation now with your child or none and deal with the results? I'm not being mean. I'm being, I'm trying to encourage it has the potential to be awkward. It has the potential for you to not know exactly what to say. But if you start early and you start on these topics of sexuality and our bodies and marriage, if you start early and you answer only at kind of age-appropriate questions, it really helps starting early and answering age-appropriate, and it's just easier to carry that conversation along. Does that make sense? Here's what, here's what I think we tend to do. We got a four-year-old that asks a perfectly reasonable, age-appropriate question about our body. And instead of just answering the question, we go, oh, he's asking about the birds and the bees and all this stuff, and I gotta... Just answer it step by step in age-appropriate ways. Answer the question is a good place to start. And if you need resources, there are great resources out there for parents about starting these conversations about sexuality. Amy and I have used some that we've liked okay. We could tell you about those if you want. Um, and then when it comes to the topic of pornography, talking about it with your children, please start and on that as well. And, and no matter what the age of your children are, it's not too late. Uh, here's, a, here's a book on the screen called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. And uh, 
even if your kids are too old for this, this is helpful for us adults. Like just order a copy of that, good pictures, bad pictures, no matter your age, no matter if you have to have one of these conversations or not, it's just a good, helpful understanding of our brains and addiction and some of the bonds of pornography. And it's, a, it's obviously made kind of as a children's book to engage that conversation. But I'm telling you, even if they're older than, than this is targeted at, it's still helpful as a way of getting the language and opening the conversation. So... I just wanted those. That's um, just wanted to rattle off some resources for you. So we want to fight this battle on the practical front, on the educational front. I'm sure there's other fronts that you'll think of that I could have thought of, but the last one for right now is the spiritual front. Of course, we want to fight this battle practically. We want to take steps to flee, to protect, to disengage. We want to fight this battle educationally. It's helpful to understand our minds and our hearts and the way God's made us. It's helpful to understand the workings of addiction and and what we need to do. So do that. And then, of course, it's a spiritual battle. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, flee youthful passions and then pursue righteousness. I I think, you know, let's, let's replace. Let's set aside the muck, flee from the junk, and, and seek righteousness, pursue Jesus, look to God and what his best is. Uh, we need to grow in our relationship with Jesus. We need to, church family, grow in our awe of our great God who is loving, the creator of all things, who has made us in his image. We need to draw near to God so that as we follow him every day of our life, we, we grow in more awe and thankfulness and appreciation for who he is and what he's done because I believe that as we grow in that awe and thankfulness for what God has done, it's going to squeeze out the garbage. So instead of allowing temptations to take our minds off of God, to, to take us off track, what do we look to? Who do we look to? The Bible says in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever is true, instead of thinking about the muck, instead of looking at the pictures, instead of considering in our minds what we might want to do, the Bible says, fill our minds with this, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. Instead of allowing temptation to derail us, lift our eyes to Jesus. We said last week that hope is a person and his name is Jesus. Father in heaven, thank you for being with us this morning. Father, thank you for being a God who cares about our lives who cares about the joys that we experience in this earthly life, but a God who also knows and cares and sees and wants to help us out of the difficult, painful, messy parts of life that we experience on this side of eternity. God, when we find ourselves in these spots, I pray for myself this morning and for my church family, when we find ourselves in these critical spots, these pivotal moments God, help us to not choose the kingdom of self. 
Help us to run away from building a kingdom of ourself, a kingdom of one, a kingdom of pleasing just ourselves. And instead, Father, by your grace, teach us to live as citizens of God's kingdom that our lives may glorify Jesus in all we say and do. Father, as you work in our lives, I pray that we would be kingdom citizens who live out human relationships, including marriage, the way you designed. God, I pray that as we grow, our, that our, as we desire to live kingdom lives, as we are kingdom citizens, I pray that we would live out these human relationships according to your good purposes, seeing all the good you have in mind for marriage and sexuality within marriage. Help us, Father, to seek purity in the midst of temptation. And God, especially this morning, we thank you that we are not left to our own strength in this battle. We thank you that it's not just up to our own efforts to stay pure. We thank you that your word teaches us that if we live according to the flesh, we will die. That if we live according to our sinful, selfish desires, we will die. But thank you that your word then also teaches us that if we live by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. And so God, thank you that for those of us in Christ, those that have trusted in Christ, have received your spirit living within us, guiding us into life and helping us put to death our sinful desires. Thank you that we are not on our own, that our victory over sin is not just something we have to strive for, but God, that you empower and enable in us by your grace and by the power of the Spirit. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the hope we have because of life in Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.